So what I'd like to do is, is go over some of the options for both oral and parenteral iron replacement. So in, in patients that have inactive IBD and in patients who can tolerate oral iron, I think oral iron is still a, a reasonable standard. Um, it's you know, easy to administer, it's low cost, uh, generally safe. And so uh, the recommended dose of elemental iron is between 30 and 100 milligrams uh, daily. And, and perhaps the best way to take it would be on an empty stomach uh, in combination with vitamin C to uh, promote absorption. I think the key here is remembering inactive IBD. And again, in a patient who has a history of tolerating oral iron, this is a reasonable way to go. We've got several different iron formulations out there. You know, the most commonly used is ferrous sulfate, but there are other options. Um, it's hard to say if one is more efficacious than the other, uh, but these are the different preparations out there. You can see they have different concentrations and different amounts of elemental iron. Uh, and you can see the standard doses at the bottom. It's often given in two to three divided doses a day. I have patients that where I just typically might just give it once a day uh, because I'm concerned about tolerability, but if they're tolerating that and you need to go faster, you can certainly go higher. I think, again, stressing what Gary said earlier, the inactive IBD patient where there's not inflammation, where hepcidin is not increased, uh, this is a reasonable way to go. Uh, again, some of the limitations of oral iron is a lot of it is, even in a patient who's not inflamed, a lot of it is unabsorbed. Uh, and then you add inflammation and then you get that hepcidin problem where the iron gets trapped in the cell and doesn't move uh, further in. And then, as we all know, many patients um, have GI side effects to iron, even patients without IBD, such as nausea, constipation, bloating, uh, diarrhea, et cetera. And so uh, many patients are not adherent with iron because of those GI side effects. And so when this comes up in the clinic, this is the first question I ask, can you tolerate iron? Many patients can't. And so then I just, we don't even deal with that. We move right on to parenteral iron. Uh, and then don't forget some of the medications that our IBD patients are on um, can affect iron absorption. So people on PPIs, people on H2 blockers, uh, this could be an issue. Certain antibiotics, such as quinolones, uh, can interfere with um, absorption and, and limit the efficacy of these drugs. And then there are uh, substances in uh, food products like bran and tea that can uh, interfere with um, oral iron absorption as well. So we have multiple reasons to consider, consider parenteral iron in IBD, such as the, the malabsorption that is increased in patients with active disease, the GI intolerances that, again, at least anecdotally, I think are more common in our IBD patients. And then when a patient is significantly um, anemic or iron deficient, uh, you can get them back up to normal stores quicker with IV iron compared to oral iron, and I'll show you some of that data. And then um, in many of our IBD patients who are on biologics, if they're coming in for an infusion, uh, that's something that could certainly be arranged at the, uh, the same time. So we have four parenteral iron products available in the U.S. Um, good old-fashioned iron dextran, which has been around a long time. Uh, we've got iron sucrose, uh, ferrumoxetol, and ferric carboxymaltose. Three of the four are actually approved for 
basically anyone with um, iron deficiency anemia who doesn't tolerate oral iron or in whom it doesn't work. Um, the fourth one is approved in patients that have chronic kidney disease or are on hemodialysis. You can see the various concentrations there. Iron dextran is usually given as a, a single large dose after the initial test dose. We'll talk about that. And then iron sucrose is typically given, say, 200 milligrams at a time, typically given in, say, four or five doses. Uh, ferrumoxetol can be given in two doses, typically 510 milligrams, and that can be given within three to four days of each other. And then ferric carboxymaltose is typically given as 750 milligrams about one week apart, two doses. Um, and so again, with iron dextran, we typically administer a 25 milligram test dose, observe the patient, make sure they're not having anaphylaxis or an anaphylactoid reaction, and then administer the rest of the dose, uh, a slow IV injection. Um, and then you can see iron sucrose is typically given as a, either a slow push or as an infusion over uh, at least 15 minutes. Patient needs to be observed for about 30 minutes uh, post-administration, ferrumoxetol, uh, infusion over 15 minutes at least, and then again observed for 30 minutes. And then finally ferric carboxymaltose can be given either as a slow IV push generally over seven or eight minutes or as an infusion over about 15 minutes and then the patient should be observed for about um, 30 minutes. Um, and here's an example of a study comparing iron sucrose to oral iron, iron sulfate, and you can see that the, the, the definition of response in this study was an, an increase in the hemoglobin of at least two grams per deciliter, and you can see that that rate was significantly higher in the patients receiving iron sucrose, 66% versus 47%. And then if you were, were talking about reaching a reference hemoglobin of uh, 13 or 15, that again was significantly higher in patients with parenteral iron. And then finally, the uh, amount, the prevalence of anemia at the end of treatment was significantly lower in patients receiving iron. And then another important consideration is that side effect profile. And there were 24% of patients in the oral iron group who had to discontinue due to side effects versus 0% with uh, parenteral iron. And here's a study comparing uh, ferric carboxymaltose to oral iron, sort of time to onset in terms of response. And again, that's that two gram per deciliter hemoglobin rise. And you can see that onset to response is significantly higher in patients on intravenous iron versus oral iron. And again, the, the rate of discontinuing uh, the drug due to AEs is significantly lower in the patients receiving uh, parenteral iron, 1.5% versus about 8% with oral iron. Uh, here's a study comparing ferric carboxymaltose to iron sucrose and looking at response rates at week 12. Again, that definition of two grams per deciliter increase, and you can see 66% for ferric carboxymaltose versus 54% for iron sucrose. And these were normalized to the amount, the actual amount of milligrams of iron. So these were, it was a fair comparison here. And then you can see if you use an endpoint of an increase in two grams per deciliter or a normal hemoglobin, the rates are higher, but still significantly higher with ferric carboxymaltose versus iron uh, sucrose. 
Uh, what are the benefits of replacement? Gary kind of alluded to many of these. You know, these patients uh, can be significantly symptomatic with fatigue, restless leg syndrome, hair loss, uh, inflamed tongue, uh, impaired quality of life. You know, we saw how, how it's almost as um, significant as cancer in terms of quality of life at sometimes, impaired physical and cognitive function. And by giving the, the, these, um, these parameters have all been studied in uh, these trials and shown to have improved patients who have received um, iron supplementation. Uh, there may also be theoretical impacts on work disability and uh, hospitalization rates. Uh, here's a study uh, looking at fair carboxymaltose versus placebo in terms of preventing recurrence of anemia in patients with IBD. And you can see that um, this was um, right at the border of significance, 0.049. This was significantly uh, lower in terms of recurrence rates for anemia with fair carboxymaltose. And then uh, this is comparing the adverse events of IV versus oral iron. And you can see on the left are all the gastrointestinal side effects, which are all clearly higher with um, oral iron, uh, nausea, constipation, diarrhea, abdominal pain, and then other side effects, including headache, injection site reactions. Well, obviously, those are going to be higher in ferrocarboxymaltose, the injection site reactions. You can see there's a little blip there for hypophosphatemia, which is um, a, a well-described side effect of some of the parenteral iron products, including ferrocarboxymaltose. Um, there are rare side effects that can occur, certainly with iron dextran. We, we're, we're most familiar with these and the need to give a test dose. Um, this is a study examining um, uh, 6,000 patients with inflammatory bowel disease who had received a total of 37,000 iron infusions. And amongst those groups, there were 92 adverse events. And you can see hypotension was the most common of these adverse effects. Nine patients had anaphylactic shock, so that's nine out of 6,000. And then you saw that there were seven patients who had bronchospasm. So these, these events do occur. Um, you need to con consider them. The event rate is uh, per 1,000 infusions. You can see 0.2 for bronchospasm, 0.2 for anaphylactic shock, and two per 1,000 for uh, low blood pressure. Uh, so how do you manage these? I think, you know, it's best to do these in an infusion center, obviously, with uh, personnel who are um, familiar with managing these side effects. Um, these can, the anaphylactic type reactions can be treated with um, steroids, antihistamines, epinephrine. You could consider uh, tr treating the patient, uh, you know, pre-medicating them with um, diphenhydramine and acetaminophen prior to uh, administration. In my own practice, I haven't been doing this with uh, things, things like uh, ferrumoxetol or ferrocarboxymaltose, but certainly it could be considered. Um, hypotension can occur. Um, oftentimes, this resolves spontaneously. And again, if you have the personnel who are familiar with these reactions, they can manage this. Extravasation of iron can be uh, painful, so it's always good to choose a large vein so uh, you're less likely to uh, run into this uh, side effect. Um, from the healthcare utilization perspective, I think one of the 
advantages of some of these parenteral products is that you can give relatively large amounts at one or two uh, settings. So we see here that the mean uh, dose of iron delivered over a given study period was highest with ferric carboxymaltose, um, also um, high with iron dextran, probably lowest with iron sucrose, and that's, again, a function of how many milligrams you give at a time. And you can see that the uh, number of infusion visits was low with uh, ferric carboxymaltose, uh, ferrumoxetol, and iron dextran, a little bit higher with iron sucrose. Again, the need for multiple infusion. So in summary, oral iron can be considered in patients that um, don't have intolerances to oral iron and also in patients that don't have uh, active IBD. Uh, but IV iron should be considered in patients with active IBD. You're going to replete stores more rapidly, and you're going to avoid all those um, GI side effects such as nausea, constipation, abdominal pain. There are adverse events that can occur, but these can be managed uh, with experienced uh, personnel.